So today we're gathering to remember great Thakur Bhakti Vinod on the occasion of his disappearance from the world, I believe, right? Corresponding with the disappearance of Karatar Pandit. So we'll see speak tonight a little bit about Gadadhar Pandit and we'll speak briefly this morning about Bhaktivinoda Thakur, his contribution and to the world and the fortune that we have of being directly connected with him in our lineage. We like to refer to our lineage following the idea of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur as the Bhakti Vinod Puribar. Puribar means like family, but it refers to a, a spiritual family or lineage in this connection. <clears throat> and as some of you know, it is commonly thought in Gaudiya Vaishnavism among the various lineages that one should be connected to the lineage, the Sampradaya, through initiation, through initiation in a lineage that has its uh, origin in one of the eternal associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who appeared along with him in the world. And so, uh, it uh, is often asked when one meets another Gaudiya Vaishnav, what uh, what is your paribar, which is often as well distinguished by the type of tilak one wears. So there are some specific different tilaks for different paribars, different lineages, and so forth. And so in Bengal it was common as well and in the times going by, the time of Bhakti Siddhanta Swasti Thakur and his disciples would be asked, which which is your paribar? And maybe they asked because the tilak that they were wearing was different than any particular paribar at the time. So the question. And um, perhaps they would bring the question then to Bhakti Sosti Thakur, and uh, he then uh, told them that you tell the questioners that you are a member of the Bhakti Vinod Paribar, which is a bold statement, mm-hmm. because obviously Bhakti Vinod Thakur didn't descend along with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at the 500 years ago, uh, like Rup Sanatan and Nityananda Prabhu, Advaita, and so on and so forth. And um, this uh, answer, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsatthakra, says much about our lineage and its boldness and its dynamic kind of thinking that uh, seeks to kind of break the mold, break the form, and just separate out the substance from the form, the essence. Uh, of the tradition from what might become form, might be formalities, extra baggage, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> what he meant to say, in a sense, Pakistan Sarti Thakur, by claiming to be a member of the Bhakti Vinod Paribar, that Bhakti Vinod Thakur, in the least, he meant to say, was such a substantial contributor to the lineage that it was his contribution was analogous to that of the original disciples of Chaitanya Mahabhu and for that matter uh, disciples like Rup Sanatana and Jiva Goswami who in contrast to Advaita, Garadhar, uh, Srivas, Thakur, Nityananda Prabhu even and so forth uh, who didn't write 
anything uh, that uh, theology or anything the Goswamis uh, Rupa Sanatana Jiva Goswami they wrote so many books they gave us the Godi of philosophy mm-hmm. and theology <clears throat> and he wanted to say that in, in at least with Bhaktivinoda Thakur his contribution was extraordinary like so much like that of Rupa Goswami Sanatana Goswami Jiva Goswami and so forth that um, the idea of seeing him as a kind of equal contributor in that regard in forming the Sampradaya or reshaping it, they shaped it, so to reshape it, uh, their, their writings, the Goswami's writings, really shaped what we know today to be Gaudiya Vaishnavism, there were many different ideas about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at the, the time of his um, presence in the world. Shortly thereafter, there were different biographies written, biographies, a number of them, Kavi Karnapur wrote in Bengal, Vrindavan Das Thakur, Lochan Das Thakur, and so forth. And it was the Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami who wrote also the final a biography, if you will, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and that, based on the Vrindavan Goswami's understanding of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that they had written about, they had written more about the implications of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu than about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu directly. Hmm? The uh, the idea of Vrindavan Bhakti and uh, Radha Dasyam and so on and so forth. Um, um, and not as much, very little really about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. So it was uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj who wrote all about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, his life, taking from the different biographies from Bengal, from where Mahaprabhu had hailed, but explaining Chaitanya Mahaprabhu philosophically through the lens of the six Goswamis. Hmm? And then um, Jiva Goswami commissioned Shamananda Prabhu, mm-hmm. uh, Sh- uh, Srinivas Acharya, uh, and uh, Narutam Thakur to go and take that Chaitanya Charitamrita to Bengal, and they used it to to unify all the Gaudias and their Chaitanya Charitamrita expertly included all the conceptions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's divinity that were out and about and then took it a step further in terms of emphasis and again uh, really framing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the highest light as understood through the Vrindavan Goswamis so they, they, the Goswamis and Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, through uh, their works and Chaitanya Charitamrita, these are the great literary contributions of the Sampradaya. They shaped the lineage and um, theologically and philosophically, in terms of an orthodoxy and, and um, and as a result of it, we find that very little has been was written between then and the time of Bhakti Vinod. We don't find authors with hundreds of books in Gaudiya Vaishnavism because it's like so much of the <laughs> so much of a literary contribution was there, and it had um, uh, unified the, the the various devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and. Um, their conceptions and given, like I say, a, a, a theological orthodox oxy, uh, this is it, this is what it is, this is what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is. Separated it from other ideas in uh, about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that, um, that mm, were inaccurate. Mm. 
And not too much of that because really it was a broad, broad accommodation. Um, but from the time of the Goswamis and Krishna's Kaviraj to the time of Bhakti Vinod, other conceptions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu developed, interpretations of Chaitanya Charitamrita, interpretations of the Goswamis' writings and so forth that um, constituted uh, a heterodox, a deviation from the orthodoxy of the Goswamis. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote much about that, distinguishing, I think, 12, 13 different groups that followed Chaitanya Mahaprabhu but really weren't following the orthodox conception of the Goswamis. And so then he did this wonderfully, Bhaktivinoda, by writing 100 books or so himself, many, many books of poems and songs and philosophical books and books in English, um, as well as in Bengali and in Sanskrit, a huge literary contribution, the likes of which all of the Goswamis' works put together or something like that. They didn't write hundreds of books, although there is the possibility, I should say, that they did, because there is a famous um, Samadhi Mandir in uh, Vrindavan, where it is said many, many books of the Goswamis were buried and put into samadhi and not printed because they were too too high, something like that. So <laughs> so the ones anyway that survived that, they're high enough, an outreach, were an outreach to the public and shaped the Sampradaya. <clears throat> this formed Orthodox Gaudiya Vaishnavism and from that time, as I say, till the time of Bhakti Vinod, as the centuries went on, some deviation from that uh, made its appearance based on those books, claiming to be the followers and so forth, and that this is what the implications of their books meant and so forth. And so he, among other things, highlighted them and and what the... Uh, uh, proper understanding of Gaudiya Vaishnavism was, but interestingly enough, in a way that at the same time took into consideration modern thoughts of the time that were coming to the religious world of India through British occupation and so forth, that um, for the most part... um, made or tried to make Indian uh, religion, Hinduism, look a little superstitious and backward, backward from a a rational scientific point of view and from a religious point of view because they were, they were Christians and Christians were very proud of natural their natural philosophy. Interestingly enough, natural philosophy if you will, in Christianity, was born with the writings of Thomas Aquinas. Previous to Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, Catholicism, which was the I think the only form of Christianity that ruled Europe, was very much a faith-based uh, tradition that did not find much of a place for interface with reason in terms of findings about the natural world, like you find things about the natural world, for example, through, uh, let's say, a, a, a scientific inquiry as opposed to from the Bible. You might read the Bible and think the world was created in seven days hmm? and nights, as it says in Genesis. Or, I don't know, I didn't read about the story of Adam and Eve. Is that there in the Bible? Is it in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Anyway, from there, you know, this idea that, that uh, humans came into being and then they were, uh, there was the original sin. And so, so anyway, you could find things about the natural world outside of the uh, scriptural canon. And people weren't doing that. Um, they were looking largely at the East, the Western revelation of the of the Bible to be. There's the whole story about life, mm-hmm. 
but some in the Greeks previous to this who were very prominent. They were thinkers and rational and and so forth, and they didn't have a real kind of revelation-based. Plato was uh, and Aristotle and uh, Socrates. They were very deep and inspired, and they posited a transcendentalism, if you will. So if you look carefully at it, it has a real correspondence with uh, some Eastern thought, um, kind of a universal uh, uh, non-transrational intelligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they didn't have a scriptural-based kind of idea. They had kind of reasoned out with with good reasoning that there is a, a, a that the that the um, kind of a that the non-material I guess what they would look at as as consciousness was more substantial than the material and so forth. Um, so at a, at a at a point in the 13th century, the time of Thomas Aquinas, who's the greatest uh, philosopher of uh, thinker, theologian of Catholicism, greatest scholastic uh, in that in that tradition, some insights from Aristotle that had not come to light previously came to light, and they were in contradiction. It appeared to some things uh, found in the Bible and the, way, the biblical way of looking at the natural world, and so. Some people wanted to reject Aristotle, and but Aquinas was too rational, I guess, to not, and so he set out to harmonize the insights, I guess, about the natural world. You could call them from Aristotle and the biblical ideas, and so this was at a time when. Philosophy was a handmaiden to theology. Philosophy was only tied to revelation. And Aquinas, what he did was he he philosophized and reasoned and he did tie it to, to revelation. So he continued to be a theologian, but the insights, not everybody went with those. So this was a time when philosophy also broke off from religion from the, in the West from theology and from revelation and started its independent march towards um, the emptiness that it's resulted in today. Mm-hmm. Um, many profound thoughts and insights came in that, but they ended up empty with no meaning and uh, practically. Uh, so that's Western philosophy and um, the natural theology of Aquinas uh, also became popular. It did give energy and life to the church and to religious thinking, and it was thought by Aquinas that we will be able to research the natural world in such a way as to show that much more the glory of God and know the glory of God and and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, many people thought like that, but this is the beginning of very, very dim early beginning of what ended up in being ultimately a break between reason and faith and a a discarding on the part of many of faith and... and, um, the the birth of a, of, a, of agnosticism and and atheism and so on and so forth. So <clears throat> natural philosophy, anyway, of uh, Aquinas was thought to be very, from a Christian point of view, was very very powerful. And uh, comparatively, the Indian um, uh, traditions of Hinduism and and so forth, they uh, uh, were not thought to be. They were thought to be more superstitious, and they were really kind of, uh, some in some senses, dismissed because of a lack of what might be called the natural 
philosophy, natural theology, uh, an, an examination of the natural world that that shed more light on the truth of Christianity or on the, the truths of Hinduism. They didn't, they thought. So anyway, it's very interesting because this is what they came, the British, to India with. And um, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur was met with this influence. And last time we talked about him, I said that Bhaktivinoda Thakur was the first convert to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Now we've talked about him as beginning here today as the as being like one with the Goswamis in shaping reshaping the Sampradaya. We're making a comparison between him and the Goswamis. But I'm also making now a comparison between him and, and Aquinas in a sense as we go on. We'll see. But um, when we do the two, hmm, when we do the one, <laughs> we say Bhakti Vinod Parivar and we say He's like an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, although he didn't come with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. His work is so analogous to the most, arguably, from a theological perspective, the most important associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Goswamis, who wrote the literature and institutionalized Gaudiya Vaishnavism in in thought and and, and, in in writing and so forth. When we talk about him like that, and we say Bhaktivinoda Paribar, then we invoke statements like the seventh Goswami, that he was he was he was referred to as such by a famous thinker and journalist in Calcutta. The work of Bhaktivinoda is so extraordinary. I call him the seventh Goswami. Hmm. So he made a, a connection like this and Bhakti and Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsidakura jumped on that and sometimes on the basis of that we will speak about Bhaktivinoda Thakur as an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahabhu that came 500 years later to give a great installation, reshape the Sampradaya and uh, and so forth in India, hmm? sort out the misconceptions, hmm? write books on the orthodox conception of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, in Bengal. But he was doing something else at the same time, which was also analogous to the Goswamis in that they wrote in a contemporary way. They did get the patronage of the kings, the, the po- politicians, and so forth, even some of the Muslims. But in a larger sense, now, he would write Bhaktivinoda Thakur not only for the Bengalis to get them straight on what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, where some idea, some misconceptions had arisen, but also to take the tradition to the whole modern world and interface with the modern ideas and so forth like a Thomas Aquinas did with findings about the natural world and so forth ideas like this is much later of course but when not uh, 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 non-theistic ideas evolution um, scientific findings and so forth that had left the church of Christianity Behind, so he. When we talk about him in this way, hmm, one way in relation to the Goswamis and his preserving the orthodoxy of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and writing like they did, they revealed the Dham of Vrindavan. He revealed Navadweep hmm, like no one else. Hmm, the significance of Navadweep, Gupta Vrindavan, hidden Vrindavan. Hmm, uh, his book Navadweep Mahatmya's is is a classic. In this regard, uh, he established the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Navadvip, like the Goswamis found the, the Janmastan of Krishna and different places of their pastimes, uh, Radha and Krishna's pastimes, and so forth. So, this is he's analogous, like the seventh Goswami. Our connection is directly with the with the uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through Bhakti Vinod. Of course, he was in a lineage that did stem back to an associate, but we highlight him. And I've given an example before. We do the same with Shamananda Prabhu and Narottam Prabhu, who weren't here with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but they're, they're, they're so prominent in their lineage. We say Shamananda Parivar, Narottam Parivar. We don't say Lokanath Parivar, although Narottam was the lone disciple of Lokanath. So, from this point of view, also the prominence of Bhaktivedanta, we feel some justification is there, some precedent is there in the Sampradaya to make such a claim. 
Bhaktivinoda Paribar. And to go further, we want, we want to say, in a sense, he is an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he came 500 years later to do the kind of work that the eternal associates did. Now, when we look at him in relation to the modern world, and we compare him to Thomas Aquinas, taking insights from the natural world, scientific rationalism, and so forth, and then interfacing Gaudiya Vaishnavism with that, then we look at him as the first Western convert to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. <laughs> because Bhaktivinoda Thakur was not a card-carrying or believing member of Gaudiya Vaishnavism for quite some time. In fact, he uh, writes about it very candidly himself, his, his um, disdain for the Bhagwat, for Srimad Bhagavatam and the um, religious ideas there as they were understood at the time outside of or independently of the influence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which although was prominent in Bengal and Orissa, at the same time had become obscure in a sense because the so-called followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had become, the ranks had been filled up with people who had bad qualities and and it was said if they had no caste they'd say I'm a follower of Chaitanya because his religion transcends caste so so, they'd be, so if, a, if, a, if a Vaishnav Gaudiya Vaishnav beggar came to the door then pious educated Hindus would say oh it's a Gaudiya give him some fruit send him away give him some rice we have nothing to learn from them <laughs> They have they have nothing to offer us. Hmm? So, this being the thinking amongst educated people in Bhaktivinoda coming from an educated family, a family who got him educated and so forth, um, and from the British schools uh, and their influence as well, and, um, he considering Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was was not an option. Really, I mean, it, it wasn't something that was. It's like being a Hare Krishna. Who wants to be a Hare Krishna? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, it's not real popular, in, you know, in, in America and Europe. And, and it had a, a stage of popularity, but its also its reputation became spoiled as many fanatics became the prominent influence in the group and so forth. Uh, um, so, uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was not fond of the Bhagavatam ideas as he understood them. And um, he had a real disdain for the Bhagavatam. So when we started to see him like this, then and he wrote about it, and he wrote about his conversion to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. When he did, in his searching, Self-searching and theological research, which was he was just uh, had an unquenchable thirst for, and here he was in touch with Christianity, other religious traditions, scientific thought about the nature of life and its meaning, and so on. He was like an overexcitable, you know, intelligent, uh, gifted person. <laughs> And uh, so he, he was uh, just reading and studying and even writing. And he came in touch with, Chait- with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's opinion of the Bhagavatam through an old manuscript, I believe, of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And when he read that, he had a conversion. And a love for the Bhagavatam, his speech, the Bhagavatam, that some of you have, written, have, have read, came after that conversion. And the conversion was so sudden and so comprehensive. We can also say, yes, but there's something in his background that caused that. We may say, oh, he's an eternal associate, but this is how it played itself out. Or we may look at him, as I say, the first convert, Western convert to Gaudi Vaishnavism, because he had Western sensibilities. He was going with the British ideas, he was looking into Christianity, 
He thought it was very noble in its ideas of love of God. Hmm. There were many Hindu sects at the time that were trying to deal with the British influence. And they dis- they liked Krishna of the Gita, who was very uh, Upanishadic and wise, but Krishna of the Bhagavatam looked rather licentious and uh, a playboy and questionable, que- morally questionable in the light of Victorian England's sensibilities. You know, they were very provincial and very... The, the, the queens would wear chastity belts, you know, so that no one could get in. And, and uh, you know, so their high moral uh, standards. And then India looked like with its iconography of naked goddesses and all kinds of things, very heathen and very backward and immoral, and especially the Bhagwat. This guy Krishna is a playboy and he's the god. These people are lost. We have to save them, was the idea. So the Hindus were influenced, intimidated by this, some of them, the intelligentsia, and they were, getting, they were coming in touch with ideas that they had never heard of from the West. Ideas about the, the natural world that had been incorporated into Christianity at the time that seemed to make Christianity make sense from a rational point of view and, and so forth. And you guys were all backwards, the Hindus and superstitious. So Bhaktivinoda was in the midst of all of this and searching for the true religion, so to speak. And he had the conversion to go to Vaishnavism and he landed on this and he was popular. Everybody wanted him in his group, the Brahmo Samaj and the Arya Samaj, this one, that one. and he he came and professed himself, I'm a Godi. And everybody, what? A Godi? <laughs> Those people are, you're a Hare Krishna? you got to be kidding me. Something like that. <laughs> and so uh, he began further. He wrote further. And, uh, and um, in this way, he was also like a Thomas Aquinas of Godi of Vaishnavism. While he was establishing the true orthodoxy of Godi of Vaishnavism and its richness, Theologically, its moral sensibilities, which are high, and so forth. In India, he was also, and and he was also in his reshaping the tradition. He was not only reshaping it and shedding light on what Mahaprabhu actually taught, but he was also taking that what was actually taught, and now he was interfacing it with all this modern thought that the Goswamis themselves did not have access to, or it wasn't an influence at the time. And it was influencing the entire world, including the Orient, where the British were occupying, for example, in India. And so he he not only reshaped it and refocused the populace on what the orthodoxy was, he began to reshape it in another way, in a dynamic way, that it would have an interface with the modern world and it would make uh, sense in light of modern sensibilities. So uh, this we call Shastra Yukti, or it's theology. This is what Aquinas did hmm, for Catholicism. And he's the greatest thinker and theologian of Catholicism. We can make an argument, Bhaktivinoda, the greatest theologian of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Uh, uh, it could be an argument could be made. Now, some people will think, well, the Goswami said it like this. Bhaktivinoda would say it like this. This is some deviation. But actually, if you look carefully at Bhaktivinoda, you see he's taking original ideas and playing them out often to a greater degree. He's really not changing. He's theologizing and showing the dynamic nature of the text. Just like you have a flower lotus and you put sun on it, it opens up and you can see, whoa, all that was in there too. Uh, When it was closed, it was beautiful, but when it opened... So, to use divine reasoning, if you will, his reasoning was not only informed in his intellect by his scholasticism and study of the scripture, but he, his study of the scripture translated into deep, deep spiritual practice. 
So he was an extraordinary exemplar of the teaching to the extent that his entire intellect became saturated with bhava. Hmm? And so the bhava, the sarup shakti, was had taken over his mind. His intellect. He, he was a deep experiencer. And with that kind of mind and, and samadhi bhasha, the language of samadhi coming out of samadhi, he would write about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. He would have thoughts about the modern world and he would go deep and come out and 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 uh, write further about uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. <clears throat> His character was so exemplary that um, that he um, in his preaching efforts he like sometimes often when you preach people get disturbed because they're settled in a certain way in a certain way of thinking and so forth and and that thinking about the religious tradition might be a way in which they make their living or other things and so forth, like the whole controversy about the birth site of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Some people were saying the birth site's over here and they were just making money off the pilgrims that Bhaktivinoda thought it can't be over there. They researched empirically, he meditated, he had samadhi, samadhi experience and he said it's over here. And then he confirmed his, his, his inspired vision with empirical evidence as well. And then he went out personally door to door in Calcutta and begged hmm, money to build a temple at the birth site of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which is now the famous Yoga Pith where everyone goes. Hmm. Again, he revealed Navadvip, the significance of Navadvip to everyone. So, his, anyway, when you're doing this kind of thing, uh, this kind of preaching, then pe- some people can be at odds with you. And so they were. They were. And some people wanted to defame Bhaktivinoda Thakur because if you could get, like a big politician, if you could get some dirt on him and his whole platform that he's trying to, you know, usher in his ideas and so forth can be dismissed. He can be thrown out of the whole arena of politics. So they, there was one instance where a fellow hired somebody like private detectives to observe Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his private moments secretly at night and they and then after a week of doing so the private detectives became disciples of Bhakti you know, they, they could not find anything uh, in the wee hours so, you know he was up and writing and chanting and little rest and writing and so on and so forth he did all of his writing for the most part in the, in the night and in the day he was active as a magistrate in the British um, court system in, in Puri, and later in, uh, in, in got transferred to district of Nadi at his request, and, and, f- and a father of ten uh, children. Hmm? And he wrote like a hundred books on Gaudiya Vaishnavism <laughs> and, uh, and created a revolution that, that, that we're all part of him. He brought life to Gaudiya Vaishnavism in, in Bengal. Um, he um, also had, did work in Vrindavan to clean up the, the area there with his magisterial, you know, ju- juris, uh, judicial prowess and position in the government. He, the pilgrims going to Vrindavan were being um, uh, robbed hmm. because to go from Delhi to Vrindavan, you had to go into the outback and especially hundred years ago. And so he did legislation and whatnot and policed and cleaned up that area and so forth. Um, and then again, he, he, he interfaced Gaudi Vaisnava with, with the Western world such that it, 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 it hardly is an obscure religious tradition in the world. It was a very obscure religious tradition in the world, but he did the, the groundwork to change that. He corresponded with Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who were the original, sometimes called the first American transcendentalists, who had some, they were writers and thinkers, and they had some contact with the Gita and the Upanishads. They wrote beautifully about it. They were, they were, they acknowledged that this is, um, well, 
more than what's been said in the West, basically. So he wrote to them, he, he wrote a book in English, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Life and Precepts, and sent it to, uh, I think, uh, McGill University in Canada, in Montreal. There it was in the library. It was like the first, like, Gaudiya book, you know, to come to the West about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he started this, and in the way he wrote his own books, um, he set a kind of a precedent for for uh, writing in a contemporary way and in consideration of modern thought and so forth. And um, then Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, claiming himself to be a member of the Bhaktivinoda Party Bar, gave some shape to the thought of Bhaktivinoda. And my Guru Maharaj, Om Vishnu Bhadesi Bhaktivinoda Swami Prabhupada, as Sridhar Maharaj used to like to say, took it all over the world. Hmm? And we find today in, a, in so many major universities, you can find about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, and his teaching about nuanced forms of Vedanta as opposed to just the monolith of Advaita Vedanta. You can write, read it, study about Ramanuja, Vashishta Dvaita, Dvaita Dvaita, the Dvaita philosophy of of, of Madhva or Chintyaveda Veda. They're all out and about. There are scholarly papers, there are books, there are scholars who have just uh, made their whole scholarship based on Gaudiya Vaishnavism and so forth. It's all the work that uh, was set in motion by Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the revolution that he started, so to speak, and we're all you know, coming in the wake of it. We're here today because of it, so we're proud to be connected with Bhaktivinoda Thakur, and we're um, uh, kind of duty-bound to reflect like this on the nature of his contribution, which is the way, which constitutes the way in which the tradition, or any tradition, will be kept alive. It's how Catholicism stayed alive, for example, uh, to use, reflect back to our uh, um, highlighting the work of Thomas Aquinas. It, 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 if it, uh, it, even Catholicism today is thought to be a more rational form of Christianity. It's not opposed to evolution necessarily, like whether that's right or not. I mean, they, 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 they say, well, okay, we don't mind like that. We just say that life comes from life, but how it happened biologically, we, we don't. We're not opposed to that, whereas many Protestant traditions were. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. But uh, uh, but we do have to balance head and heart, faith and reason. Hmm? Faith and reason, which makes the faith well reasoned, ultimately. Hmm? and strong. You have to take the, fa- the the tender faith, which is like, you know, steel. You think it's like steel. You know, you, you believe and you've got it all figured out and so forth. And then you put it in the fire of reason. And just before it melts, you pull it out. Mm-hmm. What happens? The steel becomes harder. That's how they make the steel hard. You put it in the fire, just it's about to melt, pull it out. And it can go in for a longer time. And so on. Then it can be used under high flame conditions and and so on and so forth. And in terms of Gaudiya Vaishnava, it can become so strong that even if you fly a plane into the building of your uh, bhakti, like uh, they flew those planes into the what are they called? The towers? Twin towers, or the twin towers of faith in Gore and Nityananda. <laughs> it'll never be, it'll never come down. Something that it will withstand any assault from any most powerful uh, terror attack of reason. Reason has to be harnessed. It's not. It cannot rule. If it's allowed to rule, the soul will disappear. God will disappear. The theory is, and it's true, that the soul, consciousness, atma, is transcendent to reason. It does not show up in the court of reason. God doesn't show up in the court of reason. And we give good reasons why. Hmm? And thus we put reason in its place as a maidservant hmm, to 
theology to, to, to revelation. We should reason about the implications of the sacred texts. And um, and we're not uh, afraid of findings in the natural world that don't seem to be in our book. We say they are in the book. They're just talked about in a different way. And we show how truth is truth. So we don't... Uh, we, we accept it from all all quarters, but uh, but there are truths that that are found from outside of reasoning and outside of just examination of the um, uh, the natural world. This is what revelation shastra is about. So to reason about shastra in in light of findings and so on and so forth, but not in the way that will be at the cost of them findings from scripture. This is theology, this is Shastra Yukti, and this is the best evidence, as the Tantra says. Tantra says, mm. what is that, Shastra Yukto? Um, Shastra Yukto Anubhava Pramanam Uttamam Matam. That the Shastra Yukti, this is the most the supreme uttam pramana, supreme evidence, not just the shastra, but the reasoning about it. And that reasoning has to be theistic reasoning. Ultimately, it has to be reasoning or intelligence that's saturated with bhava that can and ruchi that can feel the texts and think about them in such a way as to bring out new insights that are so new and so different. But you couldn't find them in the page, a verse form, but but you know, that's what it's saying, yes. Yeah. That's the implication of that. And the whole thing seems to be growing hmm, uh, at the same time. But it's again it's like the light of the sun on the flower just opening, opening, opening. If the flower could just keep opening and opening. Something like that. This is the idea. The flower is is the lotus of Golok and reasoning about it in, in light of the core ideas of Shastra, the truths there, just causes it to unfold that much more <clears throat> and give us access into the implications of the Leela in such a way that we cannot avoid it. It's charm. We have to enter there. Mm-hmm. So we owe great tribute uh, to Bhaktivinoda. The world does, and we in particular as members of his family. Mm-hmm. We're consider ourselves therefore very fortunate in a day like this to come together and say something about his contribution. Takur Bhaktivinodaki Jaya. Any question? Not really. There are some, but not of really any consequence. Uh, there's the old, the old place is still there, but everybody, thousands and thousands and thousands of people go to the um, place in Mayapur. That is, uh, that's where you, you can't even, you know, count the number of people that are going there by comparison. So some people in those lineages that you know resisted Bhakti, we know that they. Stake a claim. It's the old place, and so this is the real. That's the real one. But no, not he prevailed, and and with his humility, with his and he did it in every way. I mean, he did it with his empirical findings. He got old maps, studied the geography, and he studied the history of Bhakti Ratnakar of the time of just after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We talked to local people and so forth, and and then he. He meditated upon it from his house in Godroom, on the other side of the Jalangi. One day he had a vision, and there he saw the wonderful temple glowing. And the next day morning he saw it again. And then he went, and his maps corresponded, and they talked to local people. Only Tulsi was growing there. There were Muslims living there, but only Tulsi was growing. And they, the local Muslims in the jungle there had a certain name for it. What did they have there? Something like Mayapur was kind of a... Uh, so, you know, and he talked to them about their ancestors. And, this, and he, Anyway, he established that this was the place and, it, and he had the empiric finding that corresponded with his faith, which is an important point, too, because we can say, I think that 
that um, this spiritually. Hmm. Like I think that uh, that uh, Prabhupada uh, is in Sakirasa. Okay, great. Well, good for you. Hmm. If you believe anything I say, then that works. But I don't expect you to necessarily. So then we give the empiric evidence to support it. We write a book about it. Hmm. Oh, my friend, for example, we put together all the evidence to support that kind of insight, realization. So he had this vision, and then he supported it from scripture, he supported it from the empiric findings, and and so forth, and uh, he carried the day. Hmm. And here we are today, as a result. Anything else? Yes? I had one thought that came up. It seems like, uh, like today, it's much harder to speak about Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a contemporary way compared to like the Goswami's time or Mahaprabhu's time. It's like the so environment is so different from what we're trying to teach. So it seems like it's a huge challenge for our generation. Well, you have, you know, from the time of Goswami's 500 years, you know, then of Western thinking and from the time of Bhaktivinoda, more than a more than about a hundred years, you know, of, of Western thinking and science and and so forth. I mean, um, Christianity has a hard time, and Christianity, you know, issued in the whole. You know, they originally thought that science would be confirmed Christianity, so it was going to be great. It was kind of the idea of Aquinas in, 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 in a sense. Um, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's Kali Yuga, I guess you could say. It. There's there's more um, um, more of a challenge, but at the same time that we're talking about something that's very very people will should have a natural affinity for you know, eternal individuality, hmm? very reasonable the the non-eternality of our present sense of self materially speaking is a strong strong points hmm? and eternal individuality you know an all charming idea of the absolute and so i mean it's it's got a lot of power because it's true so it doesn't matter that there's a whole mountain of um Coal, so to speak. We've, we've got the diamond, and we th- we're coming to the mountain of coal and say, "There's a diamond inside there." You know, isn't that how it works? So there's a lot of coal, but over the people, but they're all diamonds. They're 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 atmas, and they have some capacity. Some to take to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. It's natural. So some work to be done. Yes. All right, so we cook a feast for Gornatai and Bhakti Vinod. Shri Bhakti Vinod, Paribar ki jai, Bhakti Vinod, Thakur, Thirubha Mahamudra Vititi ki jai, Bhut Premandi.